Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors, the podcast which tells you everything you ever wanted to know about interiors and how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And we'd both like to say a huge thank you to Tops Tiles for sponsoring the fourth series of The Great Indoors podcast. Tops Tiles is the UK's largest tile specialist and has a great range of exclusive tiles to suit absolutely any style of home. So we've got loads of lovely stuff coming up this series. We're going to talk about does your childhood home influence your adult taste. <laughs> I reckon that's going that to go, that, go either way, isn't it? We've got Kelly Hoppen. We're going to be popping into her house for a little poke about. And we're going to talk about maximalism versus minimalism. Oh, I'm going to enjoy that one for among sure. Among lots of other things. But before we get stuck in, I want to talk about the listeners for a second. Because you know me, stat queen. I love having a dig about in the stats from time to time. So, I wanted to say a particular thank you to the people who are, as far as we can tell, the only listener to the show Mm. in the country they live in. So this very special thank you is for you, our lovely, dedicated, single listener in Mongolia. Wow. And for you... Mr. Honduras (laughs) and Ms. Malawi listener and not forgetting Mrs. Madagascar. And obviously I'm not going to list everybody, but can I just say there are two of you in Moldova. So maybe you should just get together and, you know, see if Grey is really dead after all. (laughs) So if you are that single listener, only one in Algeria too. There you go. uh, Please pop onto our podcast app to say hi by rating, reviewing and of course subscribing. And, you know, we aren't fussy. The rest of you can do that too. Yes, you can. Now, (laughs) coming up today, topic one, we're going to explore this never-ending fascination with mid-century modern furniture. Is that the trend that's ever going to die, Kate? Do we want it to? Mm. That's a different question. We are also going to talk about, seems to be the moment to talk about sustainability. There's programmes on television. It's coming into fashion. It's a hot topic. So we're going to discuss that. And then, because I think finally the summer seems to be making an appearance, we're going to talk about some quick and easy garden updates. And we're going to throw a design crime in at the end too, aren't we? Shall we? (laughs) (laughs) So, Kate, mid-century modern style, I feel like 
I talk about it over and over again every year. It's just the trend that keeps on coming back. It never, ever seems to go out of fashion. It's a classic, isn't it? Yeah, but it's a classic that we're perpetually in love with that keeps getting reinvented. New designers, you know, contemporary, cutting-edge designers seem to always be jumping on the mid-century bandwagon and remodelling some of the classic designs. Why do you think it is? What is our love affair with mid-century modern? And do you want to like head it up by telling us what is it anyway? Well, there is some dispute over exactly when it is. But In the middle of the century, I'm going to guess. You could, yes, <laughs> roughly mid-30s to the mid-60s. Right. So obviously, we're, I wonder now whether we're going to soon have to change the name of it because we're nearly at the next lot of mid-30s. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's nearly an antique, or some of it is 100 years old. But it came out of that period... And it was very big in America because a lot of the German designers who were in the Bauhaus fled to America in the 1930s. Well, with the war. With the war, when the Bauhaus was closed down. I think of it as very Danish as well. I think of it as quite a Scandi-European aesthetic. There were the two movements coming together. And it's basically characterised by very clean lines, minimal ornamentation. And so you have maybe arms wooden arms on a chair so you can sort of see through and you have tall lightness, legs. There it? is a lightness to light. it. And I think the way the spaces were styled, there was, within the architecture as well, it was like big windows playing around with open plan spaces. Well, it was, if you think, I suppose, a complete opposite to what came before. I mean, the first thing that was very mm. key to it was it was about form follows the function. So it was absolutely about being functional, about the chair had to do the job it was meant to do. It had to be comfortable. Like it had to support away you. All yes, it wasn't about having a twiddly little bit of engraving mm. if it served no purpose. So I think often the designers, when they'd made their piece of furniture, they would look at it, stand back and look at it and say, does that need to be there? Do I need that twiddly bit? Does it bring anything to the function of this piece of oh, furniture? So and if it doesn't, they would take it out. Because this is obviously happening after the arts and crafts movement. And William Morris, but and I think that's he why was it's very much getting back to form. But he was still hugely decorative in his yes. celebration of craftsmanship. And I think, in a way, that's why it's had an enduring popularity. Because if you think we were coming in this country, coming out of the sort of Victorian heavy, very ornate, dark furniture that perhaps our parents had, or some of us, our parents, parents, our grandparents, you know, it was dark, it was engraved, it was ornate. Even the William Morris stuff, some of it was quite ornate with the mm. sort of floral highly and flowers. Decorative, yeah. Highly decorative. So it was a reaction to that. I think that's partly its appeal because we can remember our parents or our grandparents' houses and we wanted an opposite to that. And a, and a post-war mood. But, but, you know, that was a long time ago. Why are we still... I think it was, like, last week. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so interesting because it hasn't always been around. I mean, I remember that time. I mean, I've got some Urkel dining chairs mm. and I picked them up in 2006, 2007, I think, from Brighton Car Boot Sale and I got six for 40 quid. Now, you would not be able to buy six no. I mean, vintage Urkel dining chairs for 40 quid anymore. It's become a lot more popular in the last 10 years, hasn't All it? All those things obviously are cyclical. So mm. I think there would be some people of a generation where perhaps their parents had it the first time round. And if you look, we had in this country, we had Urkel. We also had G-Plan, yeah. uh, which was sold in heels and was actually very expensive. And in many ways, Habitat was a sort of more affordable version 
of that, of that look, aesthetic, which yeah. was on the high street. So, you know, many of us would have grown up in houses that looked like that. So we didn't want that in the 80s and 90s when we were getting our first houses because, again, we were reacting against that. But I think one of the reasons it is really popular is it's very versatile. It goes in any kind of interior. So it looks great in a Georgian house mm. with, you know, lots of panelling and coving and where where the actual fabric of the building is quite ornate. It looks great to have... Well, it gives it a modern twist, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, and a very sort of simple chair in front of all that ornate. So in Victorian houses as well, it looks very good. It's great in small spaces because of the, yeah. you know, the see-through kind of arms and the tall small legs. small spaces, a lot of it. It's exactly. not big, they're never big grand pieces. No. The sofas are always very petite. And like you say, uh, there is a lightness of, of shape that really helps small spaces. Yeah. So it's been really popular with people living in apartments and, and also, stuff like that. I mean, I think it's just a practical thing. I mean, I remember years ago writing a piece for the FT about architecture and someone's and saying, you know, well, there aren't that many Georgian houses around now because it was a long time ago. And I, someone said to me, you know, they weren't that well built, so they haven't lasted. Whereas actually mid-century modern furniture, you know, the whole point of it, it was really well built. So you can So that's still, why it's still around. It's still around, it's there. still here. And as I think we touched on in a previous episode after Clerkenwell, you know, you can mend it, you can take it apart and you can mend it. And you can reupholster it and change the colour. And so there is that element as well, a sort of which I think is perhaps the fashionable bit, as it were, at the moment, is you can sort of see the hand of the maker in it yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah, it's that celebration of craft yeah. in a I modern mean, way. I mean, it was mass-produced, a lot of it. So the Eames Eiffel chair was the first mass-produced chair when they were making it with plastic. But the craftsmanship of the legs has carried on ever since. And I think a lot of the pieces now that are famous have never gone out of production. So there's that Florence Knoll, very square sofa with the button backs that's been in production ever since she first made it. They're classic pieces that work in any interior and, as you say, in any size room. Then one of the other reasons why it's quite appealing is it sits really nicely in between feeling modern and feeling nostalgic and retro at the same time. Like you've got one foot in both camps. Yeah. So if you like something that's harking back, feels nostalgic, is retro, is vintage, which you know we've had a huge love affair with over the last 10 years, haven't we? Yeah. But at the set but it's not like your brown furniture or your Victorian furniture. So it still has that air of feeling quite modern and current, but also the softness and the homeliness of feeling like it's something that your granny could have owned. Yeah, exactly that. And I think you're completely right. I think that's probably its appeal. It looks forward and backwards. Yeah. And, you know, also it's great to buy vintage pieces where you can find them. I mean, the irony is, of course, in many ways, a lot of the Danish furniture was started. It was very democratic. It was meant to be affordable to all. Clearly, the original stuff isn't quite so much no, anymore. No, I mean, it goes for But that, but that look still endures. You know, there's modern companies who are inspired yeah, by that Yeah, so where do you look. sit with that then? I mean, you talk about the Eames Eiffel chair. That has been, I'm going to say it, ripped off. A lot. A lot, a lot by more affordable brands. I think BHS even had a go at it at one point. See, I'm of... not <laughs> I'm not so keen on that if you're just doing a direct copy. It's really conflicting because I completely get the idea of making that design affordable to the masses. But equally, there are other designers doing great things. Mm. So, you know, I don't have a Chanel handbag. Yeah. Because I can't, you know, well, I, I can't afford one. They're £3,000 or something. And even if I could, I would probably not spend that money on a handbag. So, you know, I would have something different. There are other So rather than have designers. a knockoff Chinese 
I copy, would, let's say, let's you're... look for another good designer making good chairs. So better to buy a, a modern piece that's inspired by the mid-century design than an obvious copy. Is that's, that kind of yeah, what we're saying? I think so. That's it's what I would just... say. Um, so but I think it's the, the look. So I, I know Jay Blades, who presents, I think, the repair shop on BBC One. And he used to run, uh, still does run, a charitable enterprise where he teaches young people how to reupholster and mend furniture. But he used to live near the Urkel in High Wycombe, yeah. near their factory. And, you know, 10, 15 years ago, he was getting all that furniture out of skips and people were chucking it out. And he was, you know, redoing it and repainting it. And as you say, now it's really difficult. You're not going to find it in a skip anymore no, sure. because people have become more aware. But obviously, if you've got something, you can paint it. Because I think your Urkel chairs are painted yeah and I, I painted them because the right they're in chairs. a terrible state exactly so, I so yeah. it is actually a very sustainable choice and it's not just the vintage pieces either is it I know that like Urkel since we're talking about them have worked with some really contemporary designers to collaborate recently well, they've just done something with 2LG for yeah, Bride yeah they've done Pride. this kind of like yeah. crazy multicoloured ombre spray job yeah. on their their classic is it the but it's bench? great how those companies are just reinventing themselves. Yeah. I love it when they collaborate because they're making themselves relevant and new and interesting again to those who perhaps don't remember yeah. it for the first time round or perhaps those who look at it and think, well, that was in my granny's house. I want something newer. And actually it's reinvented. I mean, I did similar. I remember writing about anaglypto wallpaper right in the early days of the blog. So, you know, six, seven years ago and getting loads of comments going, oh no, I can't have anaglypto wallpaper. And yeah. actually I've got it in my house yeah, it's very and it's coming again. back um but that initial reaction was you know no I don't want it but I said that's because when it was in your granny's house it was painted magnolia vinyl silk so it's <laughs> gone a bit yellow a bit shiny but actually you know paint it matte green I've got it in my house Ooh, or nice. blush pink and you know it suddenly looks more modern and more relevant so it's great when companies We're can looking do at that. it with fresh eyes yeah I mean just thinking of a of some more iconic designers working within the mid-century I mean Orla Kiley has built a complete global empire on producing contemporary designs as in she's she's making them because in here the and now but the patterns were very geometric but they're so yeah. nostalgic to yeah. that mid-century modern style yeah. aren't they then there's like misprint wallpapers again working yeah. in that aesthetic and then of course mini moderns who've just bought out a new book this year it's a fabulous book I love so it. if there's any listeners there who are just chomping at the bit and just love mid-century modern this book mid-century modern living the mini moderns guide to pattern and style is absolutely it's the bible oh i love it, it right because here? i love their prints and their colors but actually what is fantastic in that book is the sort of all the extras so they give you i think a friday night playlist and here's the cocktail to yeah, drink yeah uh, and here's the music to listen to and i love that because idea. i mean that's the thing i think you know i'm not a big mid-century modern aficionado i just kind of like it in the mix of everything else but these guys they live it they absolutely live it and some people really do don't they and they want they don't just want the furniture they want to live in a span house like yeah. you say they're having the cocktail parties but they're again, wearing the those, summer caftan like those they're doing houses the have come back round because you know I live in a classic Victorian house which is sort of dark yes it's got high ceilings but it's quite dark with narrow corridors and actually you now look at those span houses those 1916 mm. houses They've got massive square picture windows. Yeah, yeah, and big so, open plan spaces. Yeah, and square rooms. Yeah, lovely, lovely spaces to live in. So that's why it won't die. But also, as you know, it's just brilliantly well made. So it literally doesn't die. And if it breaks, you can mend it. So 
So do let us know what you think about all that and come and find us on Instagram where I'm mad about the house and she's who are you again? Sophie <laughs> Robinson Interiors. <laughs> Coming up, moving swiftly on, the final topic on garden updates and of course design crimes. But first, we're going to talk to you about sustainability. We are. Which I just feel is so much the conversation across social media right now and all genres. It's been very much picked up, I think, by the fashion bloggers. And it's the been bubbling under with fashion, hasn't it, about buying fewer clothes, mm. you know, reworking your wardrobe and... Big reaction against fast fashion, generally. Yeah. And, and moving into interiors, because obviously interiors took a long time to get into fast. Mm. Um, and now, because a lot of the high street clothes stores also sell furniture we're now beginning to see a little bit of that disposable mm. fast fashion coming mm. through into interiors and it's difficult i mean as are you you probably don't read my blog i do read did your you? blog i, well, I wrote well, I a little... this post i thought it was a really good post i it did write a bit about it well what's the name of the what's the name of the blog post for anybody who wants to look it up well do less harm was the sort it of hashtag name. because it is really important and i felt we don't we don't know enough about it. We need to start asking questions about where the stuff comes from, how it gets here. Mm. But it was also actually, I came at it from the other end. It was the disposal end that I was looking at because we are not going to stop shopping, most of us. And those companies exist to sell us stuff and they're not going to stop doing that either. So I was looking at it from the sort of point of view of, of how do we get rid of the stuff we have to make room for the stuff we want? Well, I think, I mean, from my point of view, I am in a permanent state of overwhelm that <laughs> in my life. <laughs> I know what you mean. I, you know, and so the added pressure and responsibility of saving the planet, as well as all the other things I've got to get done in my busy day, I'll be honest, can tip me over the edge sometimes. And, yeah. I, and I have been guilty of putting my fingers in my ears and going, la, 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 yeah. la, 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 like it's all too much. Now, my husband recently watched the Hugh Fernie Whittingstall War on Plastic documentary series, which is on BBC. And I've since caught up on iPlayer after he just went into complete fever pitch and started mm. like measuring all our plastic waste. And he's got a chart up in the kitchen and a big note saying Tom to put out the bins because he doesn't want me doing it because he goes through our bins and our recycling works at how much glass, how much plastic, how much general waste. Why is he waiting? Because he's on a mission for us to reduce it. So he oh, wants I see. to so start. it's not just sorting it, it's actually having No, less so we already it. sort it and now he wants to work out can we reduce it yeah. and by measuring it we'll give us the yeah. incentive to reduce it. I mean, my when he started doing this, first of all, I was like, oh, good grief. Seriously, like, just working out the recycling is quite, like, yeah, yeah. a commitment. And now we've got to empty it and measure it. But then I thought, he's doing the bins, so let's just keep yeah, really let's quiet. Go with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I felt like I needed to, to catch up on this programme to see, you know, it's made such an impact on him. Oh, my goodness, it's I'm totally on board. So the, the big headline takeout, I think, from the War on Plastic series is the absolutely horrific amount of one-use plastic that we yeah. are just ravishing on a daily basis. And do we really need it? And not only that, coming back to your point, is what are they doing with it? Well, and also I think what we need to look at as well with companies is asking them about how they're packaging the furniture or the cushions we're buying. Mm. And I think we need to start 
asking questions or maybe when we buy something, we need to all start saying, but if you're going to wrap it in plastic, I don't want it. So one of the things that I got out of it, which did give me hope because I do feel a bit desperate about this whole mm. saving the planet thing. Sometimes I'm sure everybody who's watched Blue Planet and anything David Attenborough's produced feel the same way, is the fact that Hugh and Anita Rani, who are the presenters, are really putting pressure on big business, on our supermarkets, on yeah. our retailers to do something about it because it can't all be on us. It can't be all on us weighing out well, our... Well, the thing is, I think Recycling, I think it, it has to is come from all them. on us, actually, to start with. But the problem is we've all got to do it so that the businesses will take notice. I mean, I do think the change will come from the bottom and that's why we do have to keep doing it. I saw a great fact the other day on Instagram by Sarah Wilson, who's a influencer who I follow. And her post said that it only takes 3.5% of a population to get on board for a movement for change to take off, which I thought was really heartening. That's really interesting. Because didn't they say that with those stats about the Extinction Rebellion protests? Yeah, that's that they needed a thousand about. arrests. And that suddenly was a critical mass, mm. at which point it became a movement and people were talking about it. Yeah, so when you do feel like you yourself in your own home, which is how I often feel, completely overwhelmed and powerless, yeah. you just think, well, it doesn't need to be that many of us to start asking those questions, yes. putting the pressure on. What I'm trying to do when I wrote the blog post was I want to compile a directory of companies just asking the question what they're doing. And I think I've got to work out what all the categories are, but I want to, you know, have a directory where you can say, well, if I buy my chair from this company, you know, maybe it's made in China and it's shipped over here, but their disposal service is very responsible. They will recycle it. Or this is a company that's carbon neutral and also donates 1% of its profits to planting trees or something. So I need to, I want to compile something with as many companies as I can get and talking about what they're doing, how they're getting rid of stuff, obviously what their packaging is, so that a lot of all companies can't do everything, but you can see well, there's what no steps blueprint, they are taking. There? Exactly. There's no, there's, and the government aren't enforcing anything for the people have to do X, Y, Z. So it is a bit of a minefield and yeah. it's up to us as the consumer to find that so out. See, but, but then you can make your choices. Well, I, you know, on balance, I'm going to buy my sofa from them because the packaging's quite good and the recycling looks okay. When you buy design-led furniture made in a sustainable way or from recycled plastic bottles and things. It's quite often in limited editions and it's small and it's very expensive and not everybody can afford that. So I don't want this to be about saying, if you can't afford to buy sustainable, we're going to shout at you. I want to say, here's what these companies are doing. So if this company is in your budget for that thing you can buy, then here are some things you might want to consider when you're weighing up. Whether to go for this company or that, that company. Co this company or that company based on their disposal or their packaging or where the material Just going to be a from. great insight, Kate, as well, to work out what people are doing. You know, yes. what our company's doing, what our brand's doing, because we are getting more activated and more interested. But I don't have the time to sit on the internet for hours and hours and hours. Turns out Research I'm now going to have to find it. <laughs> or, you know, or let's get listeners to like write in because there will be loads of them out there who've so, done yes, this research. I want you to email me on kate 
at madaboutthehouse.com. And if you can put do less harm in the subject field, because that helps me then put them all to one side and I will go through them. And I want to hear from small companies and big companies. And, you know, remember, guys, I am not an expert in this. I'm trying to compile a resource resource, for you all to use. So I am not going to rate the company. So if you decide that the model of fast fashion, for example, is broken, but this company is taking a step in a different direction, let's just report that and make your own minds up on how you want to do it. And hopefully it will gather momentum. I think that sounds brilliant. Might take me a little while. Right, so finally, there's a yellow thing in the sky, giving (laughs) off a bit of warmth. It's been a while. I tell you what, though, we were watching Killing Eve. Don't know if you're doing that yet in the second series. And I'm not giving a spoiler away to say that in the second episode, she gets out of the boot of a car. There's no big, great plot reveal there. And the ground was completely... The grass was brown. It's in Basildon. Also, not spoiler... And the grass was completely burnt and ground. And I said to my husband, they must have filmed this last summer because <laughs> the grass is ruined. And he was like, I can't even remember what that felt like. We've forgotten. Yeah, we had a hot 2018, We didn't did. We? And now, of course, it's all looking beautifully lush and green because we've had so much rain. It is. I mean, it's looking gorgeous here. As you know, I've dragged you from the city into the countryside. <gasps> and you're... <laughs> I'm wearing a green but jacket. I know, it's nice there, isn't it? It's not that bad. And actually, you haven't been here for a while. We've done absolutely nothing in the house, as you've gathered. There's no updates here. I know, Just... my Instagram's going to be a bit bare. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of unfinished jobs, absolutely everything. Because this is the time of year that we need to be outside yeah. in the garden. And the big project at the moment is the treehouse. We're building... Oh, it's the fantasy, isn't it, the treehouse? And, you know, and because my husband's a builder, this is not your average okay. treehouse. This Can has you got make it into your outside foundation. office? Yeah, it will be big enough. <gasps> well, we wanted it to be big enough to get a double bed in it and people could sleep and stay in it if we oh, had, like, wow. an overspill of guests. I'm coming. Suddenly, I think we could be recording down here a bit more. Let's have a weekend of podcast recording. The podcast slumber party. (laughs) Who do I sleep with? You or Kate? There's probably enough for all three of us. Honestly, it's massive. Is it? And then Arthur, obviously, my son who's eight, he's got big plans for um, secret hatches and zip wires. And so, obviously, you know, it's going to be loads of fun. And Tom's found loads of sustainable reclaimed bits of timber again you know because of his job he can pick up all kinds of stuff and actually his architect friend the other day said oh I've got a whole heap of larch cladding left over from a job yeah exactly we're getting some really nice stuff actually I mean you need you've obviously got the space you meant big garden uh (laughs) for a tree house but I mean my fantasy garden update and actually I think Chelsea from the house that Black built is doing it Oh, the now. Instagrammer she, of the house Instagram, that Black built. Um, she's building a pergola at the bottom of her garden and I oh, really want one. I got, mean, actually, oh. in an ideal world, I want one at the back of the house so that, well, you know, it's like living what, in a group Attached to the Verna. house, you mean? Yes. Okay. But my husband says, and I think he's right, it will cut light coming it into will, the house. yeah. Um, so having it at the other end of the garden, and she's just built has obviously she's painted it black, uh, which will look amazing with things growing over it. So that, I would love to do that. Oh, that's that. your thing. You've got a little bit of pergola envy. I have got a bit of pergola envy. And would you do yours black? That's quite cool, isn't it? Painting outside timber black. It seems to be the colour at the moment for well, garden that day. Is, Paint but- your garden Fencing black looks great with the greenery and the flowers exactly. set off against it. Yes, and if you've got black 
crittle or crittle style windows mm, or we've just got bifold black doors or whatever doors, yeah then you're kind of carrying on that look so mm. it does look amazing so then it's about the furniture she puts into it because I've come late to garden furniture in that we always had fairly cheap, rubbish, uncomfortable stuff. And also, you know, as a child growing up with those deck chairs that once you're in, you can't, you're oh, not coming yeah, out again, yeah. are you? But isn't that the whole point? I've got a twin deck chair. It's a oh, deck chair you? with two slings in it, so yeah. you can sit next to somebody. But I love it because once you're in, you're not getting out, and that's my excuse. Well, you see, to I'm too restless alone. for that. That irritates oh, really? me. And then, you know, I need another drink or I need to get up for something to eat. And, I, you know, I haven't got the core strength for a deck chair, frankly. But... It's about having garden furniture that's as comfortable as your indoor furniture. So, what have you? What, so, have you found the solution? Well, we've just got a sofa, an uh, outdoor sofa, an outdoor sofa. What is that like a rattan thing? Well, you see, hmm, we bought it a couple of years ago. I think it's probably that weatherproof rattan, i.e., plastic. plastic. So we'll have to keep it forever. And I have to say, <laughs> it lives outside, and it's two or three years old, and it's doing really well. So okay. you know. So you fine. then got the cushions that you bring out so when you've it's got dry. Cushions which are certainly showerproof, and actually, I don't know what they're made of. I dread to think. But when the rain comes down, they seem to dry quite quickly. Well, that's important. And that has been fantastic because we've really started using our garden since we had comfortable furniture to sit on because we used to sort of go out there and perch on the end of a deck chair and never be out there for very long I mean it's been very bad for the diet and the waistline (laughs) because we now go out there at about six o'clock in the evening when it's not raining and we've got a comfortable chair and it's actually we have a little aperitif let's pretend we're on holiday little bowl of nuts some Some olives olives. get your antipasti out put on pounds it's got to stop (laughs) (laughs) oh my god with the pagola you'll never leave the house no exactly well I won't this is what we're all building to right. is the fact that I can be you know yes. never leave, need to leave again um, so comfortable garden is, furniture is the ultimate I garden up, the update yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I haven't quite done that yet at the moment for me if I get a chance I just like taking a whole heap of rugs I just take even like the living room rug drag it outside yeah. I have obviously thousands of cushions, as you can attest. <laughs> they all come outside yeah. and that's my kind of, and we've got a willow tree and I just love creating like a lovely little Moroccan kind of suki den thing going on under the willow tree. That's my, my spot. Um, godmother who lived in Surrey as a child, she had a willow tree and it didn't have a proper tree house in it, but it had a rope ladder going up and we used to climb up and sit oh, nice. in the willow tree and eat biscuits. It was oh, in what? the 70s, the glamour. I love that all your all your outdoor activities involve food. They are, aren't they? Oh, I'm really well, picking mm. up on that. <laughs> it's because we're recording at lunchtime. <laughs> it is, isn't it? I know. Another great garden update that I saw recently, which I probably would go as far to say is the best thing I've ever seen on Instagram because it absolutely blew my socks off. I thought it was so brilliant. Gimme, gimme. So it was from the Instagrammer, I am Hayley Stewart. I know what you're going to say. You know what I'm going to say. So she, in her garden, I don't think she'll mind me saying this, fairly ordinary garden with very ordinary grey concrete pathway. Slabs. Slabs, slabs, Yeah. yeah. Nothing fancy about that at all. She took it upon herself. I just think it's so genius to get a stencil and some masonry paint and stenciled like a cement tile geometric pattern. It's fantastic. And did it in like 
a day or like a weekend. Like it was so fast, yeah. this transformation. And all of a sudden she's got this it was really the, It cool. was just the brilliance of the idea, wasn't it? That yeah. would never have occurred to me. I'd be sitting there thinking, right, I need to get rid of these, these concrete slabs and what can I replace them with and who's going to lay them? And she's just looked at that and gone, where's my paintbrush? I know, bit of, a, bit of a jet wash, get them really clean, make sure they're properly dry. And then she's done it. She's used a black paint on a grey, so it looks quite subtle and modern. It's just... It's very geometric, honestly, isn't it? Honestly, I was like... Yeah. yeah, and for the price of a tin of paint, yeah. I was like, that That's is genius. Clever. And a lot of people want those pattern tiles in their garden, you yeah. know, like you see in Morocco and places like that. But we don't really have the climate here because of the frost and the cold, apparently. They can be really unstable. Mm. So they're not a good idea to use outside. So she's well, just got around that as well. That, that element, you know, you want to do them in bright colours, but, you know, it looks great when you're in Ibiza and then, you know, you come back to Neesden, it's not so good. So I think the way she's done it, because they're much more muted colours, will that will still look great in November. It's such a win. Another great garden update I saw was when we were at Fern Cotton's house, which was in the episode just before this one, the last one of Series 3, and she'd astroturfed her city garden, which I thought looked really... Look, you're looking at me like you didn't notice. I didn't notice. You didn't notice. See, that's me with little children thinking, oh, that's really clever. Because it creates an evergreen surface. It doesn't go muddy and soggy and they're not bringing mud in the house. Well, I know lots of people who did it, um, but I think my mother has it, actually. I, I'm, Are you getting snooty over a bit of AstroTurf? I think the difference is, is the technology of the AstroTurf yes. has really improved. And I, it's not cheap, but you can no, get some really nice, yeah. spongy, yeah. authentic... I think you can even get it with, like, daisies and stuff in now. Because I think for a lot of people, sorting out the surfaces in the garden is a really great way of making a quick update. There's another product that's just been on my radar that's quick and easy. And you can tell with me it's all about the quick and easy. <laughs> especially when it comes to gardening is this Everscape product that Top Stars do Top Stars our sponsor but they do this system where you can buy you know ceramic tiles yeah. limestone effect whatever but they've got this kind of it's like a little click system so you don't have to go to the trouble of actually laying foundations and putting the tiles you know landscaping essentially so which is just costly and top. time consuming yeah they're like little feet little platform I think feet. Chelsea's using those the house that Black built is she Ma- using maybe that not product? under the pergola but near the pergola um, so I'll be really interested oh, to we'll see that oh watch that space see yes. how that reveals but that's a really good idea because I think I think I had that press release too you can then if you're in a rental property you can take them with you can't you because you haven't had to cement them down I think as well it's a great alternative to decking because at the moment I think decking is the quick fix but I I, we had decking for a while and we took it up because in the winter it It was so slippery it? it was absolutely lethal it was so slippery so you have to you do have to maintain it yeah jet wash it and antifungal it yeah I think it's a thing isn't it also because you have to raise the deck, I think certainly in urban gardens. Oh no, in the countryside you can too. Get things living underneath. Yeah. Oh them. no, my mum's got decking all the way around her annex, and things were burrowing up and living in the walls. <laughs> so we had to sort that out. Yes. So we took our deck up, and we've now put effectively cobblestones. And I'm often asked about them, and they, I think they're called Marshall's cobble sets, and they're meant for driveways, I think, because you're meant to put cement between them um, so you can drive over them. But they come on a mesh and you can lay them down, so like sort of mosaic tiles. That's not a quick Yes, because you oh, can just it? lay it on sand so it's still permeable. And then we put little gravel stones between them. Is that the Royal Wee, them. Kate? Is that the Royal Wee? Well, the, the, well, that was the Royal He, the builder, actually. <laughs> 
What I want in an ideal world is for moss to grow between them. But nice. I, it's not. Yogurt. Where do you get moss? Is that how you make moss grow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If I need to go out there well, and that's... pour yogurt over my yeah, cobbles, live and yogurt over your cobbles and stuff will grow. Live on it. yogurt. Is this 0% fat? 5% fat? What, <laughs> organic. What is, does it need to be organic to make the moss grow? That's a brilliant tip. Yeah. That's an odd stylist tip from photo shoots that if we wanted to have plants in pots that looked aged and mossy, yeah. that we'd smother them in um, in yogurt to get them looking aged and mossy looking. So oh, I'm just going to be out there tonight <laughs> with spoonfuls of the old Greek yogurt hurling it at my cobblestones. My husband's going to think I've gone mad. <laughs> Gosh, I hope it works. I'm going to, well, you know what? We'll be back. If not the vermin that was living under your decking will be yeah, having an absolute Yeah, we'll be back with feast. a vengeance, right. This is a subject to which we shall return in future episodes. The yogurting of the madhouse terrace. Let's see. <laughs> It's design crime time. My favourite part of the podcast. I know. What so, have you got for me? It's well, about time you came up with one, I'm thinking. Well, have you got this any? time I'm going to do the design crime yeah. that is actually the design cliché. Oh. So it doesn't actually necessarily have to be something that you don't like that's a crime as such, but it's that thing that you see everywhere and therefore that's it's a crime. just become a bit of a cliche because you know everybody's jumped on Ooh, okay so what's your design cliche well i would say i would put the pineapples in there although oh speaking as the owner of a six foot tall palm tree <laughs> slash pineapple <laughs> lamp um and just behind your head in fact sprouting from the top of your head on my bookcase is a gold pineapple let ornament. me see that i'm going to turn around <laughs> my neck's gone hold on a minute oh dear god <laughs> Right. So then, yeah. straight in with that straight then. Straight in with the gold pineapple. Straight in with the gold pineapple. And we both kind of own one. Brilliant. And also, I mean, and actually, there's another one that is a bit of a design cliche, but I think it's fabulous, is that IKEA, I think it's the Rand rug or the Stockholm rug. It's, so it's black and white. Rug. I've got one of those as well. Have you? Yes. I have. In Arthur's bedroom, the black and white. The black and yeah. white. I mean, actually, I think that's brilliant. So it, it's a difficult one because... It's not a design crime because I think it's a great thing to have, but it is a, it is but a cliche. Everybody's, but that's everybody's the problem with IKEA. Is there's there's probably quite a few. I mean, okay, what about your pendant light in your home office that Fern Cotton's already also well, got? Well, I'm in very I'm good sure. company. <laughs> Fern and I, Fern and I have that dandelion light. The dandelion but you're right. Light. But there was a period, I think, probably in the 90s, or maybe that's my generation when we were all starting to furnish our homes, mm. and you could, you know, go out to the pub with your mates and and come home slightly worse for wear and fall asleep on the sofa and you wouldn't know whose house you were in when you woke up because yeah. <laughs> they all got the same IKEA. sofa bed and the same lights yeah, yeah, yeah. and there was another one actually which surfaced on Instagram yesterday did you have because I did the Habitat Garland Light by Tord Bunchi I'm going to yeah, pronounce his yeah, name yeah. wrong that, that but it came really on good. a flat sheet of metal like laser cut metal wasn't yes, it yes and then you wrapped it round a bare bulb and it was and you like needed a kind two of floral or three. Gar- a yeah. metal floral garland that you wrapped yeah. around bare bulb yeah and they came in silver and copper and gold and they mm. were they were 20 quid or something weren't they listeners let us know did you have the Torj Bucci and can anybody even say his name anyway the, <laughs> the Danish product designer Habitat Metal laser cut. Oh, yeah, let's brilliant. do a poll. Let's do. I want to do a poll. How many people actually oh, with the slider? I've so got one. The, I've got one. What crime or cliche? Cliche, which I think is a crime, and it kind of goes back to the top of the episode. You see, don't you love it when I wrap Look it up at like that this? Circular. Look at this. 
the Eames Eiffel chair. Just see them everywhere. I think because they got ripped off so much in the white plastic with the metal chrome Eiffel legs. Everywhere. Do you not think that... Oh, look, you don't agree. I used to have them. Not with the metal legs. I used to have the ones with the wooden legs. The proper ones. They're very comfortable because they hug your bum really nicely. So why Um, don't you have them anymore then? Because they're apparently, they're a design cliche. <laughs> they're a design cliche uh, because apparently they didn't hug my husband's bottom to quite the same comfortable degree that they hugged mine. <laughs> so we sold them because they were real ones, and we sold them. And I'm still a bit sad because I really like really them. Liked them. I mean, they and are you're a right, classic. the metal legs were a bit of a cliche. I'm just sure there was just, at one point, you couldn't buy a copy of Living Etc without every single dining table having those chairs around it. And you do, you do see those things. You're absolutely right. They just go round and round Round, again and you see them. It's quite fun to spot them. (laughs) So yes, let us know what your design cliches are because I'm sure we've forgotten some. Sophie's so hungry she can't think For a quick summary, we kicked off the episode by talking about the mid-century trend and was it something to invest in? And we think it is. It's a real classic. By the original, it's a real worthwhile investment. Just don't expect your kids to want to inherit it off you because it will be. Well, then you can sell it to someone else and get your money back. Yeah. Uh, Then we talked about sustainability and the big push here is to start asking questions and putting the pressure on our brands check out kate's hashtag do less harm and if you've got any great advice about products or brands who are doing their bit then get in touch with kate at madaboutthehouse.com and then finally gardens get your stencils out peeps (laughs) i just think if there's one take home for a really quick stylish garden update it's to stencil your concrete flags thank you i am hayley stewart for the inspiration brilliant idea As ever, there will be more on our blogs and we'll get you some pictures of Chelsea's pergola and Hayley's path. Mine is madaboutthehouse.com and hers over there is... Who are you? (laughs) SophieRobinson.co.uk Thanks so much to Tops Tiles for sponsoring this podcast, to Kate Taylor, our producer, and to you, lovely listeners, particularly in Algeria, Madagascar, Mongolia and Honduras, (laughs) for listening. We'll see you in the great indoors. You can certainly get it with sort of bits of dead grass in so it looks yeah, a bit more authentic. Fake. Yeah. A bit more fake, a bit more authentic. Sorry, I don't mean a bit less fake. Is it lunchtime? We do hereby promise that we will never ever record an episode of this podcast again on an empty stomach.